gotta leave your money behind you Raise your hand to the sky That's the masses of silence Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We've got a few of us in the booth today, and I want to say a big welcome to Amber. Amber is here. She's not Mike, so she can't say hello, but she she is saying hello behind the camera there. And anyway, she is our new marketing guru. I don't know if that's a technical term. I don't know if that's a business card sort of deal, but it's something about something like that, marketing guru, and she's helping us with the podcast today. So big welcome to her. Say hello if you are meeting with your advisor or anything. We'd love to have you meet Amber. So in any case, thank you, Amber. Welcome to the team. She says thank you for those that we know you can hear. Anyway, we do have some content here, and we are going off of a blog that our one and only Alicia Vandeven wrote, and it is titled, What to Look for When Hiring a Financial Advisor. So there's a number of ways that we could take this topic. We can talk about fees. We'll talk about a lot of stuff, frankly, that might get covered in a FIT meeting when we're meeting with our prospective clients, but <clears throat> there's many different ways we can take this, and, uh, and we're, we're happy to, to kind of explore that further. So for those of you that may not be clients, hopefully something like this could be helpful for you when you go into a prospective meeting with your advisor, but yeah, we're, we're here to, uh, to try to hopefully provide a little education about the industry itself, about advisors, how we're paid, all those sorts of things that people generally have questions about. So that said, Alicia, could you tell us a little bit about your blog at a high level? Yeah. So when I wrote this post, I was really trying to put together a a document that was a central location for all the questions that we typically get answered in a client fit meeting. Um, are you guys fiduciaries? How do you get paid? Do you get commission on the products you recommend? Um, uh, what do your credentials mean? What does it mean to be a CFP? What are all of these other letters behind your name? So just a lot of the questions that we get in that first client meeting, I wanted to have a resource that if people were searching for us or searching for other advisors, they would have a place to start. Uh, the other thing that happens in those first-time client meetings is we will say, do you have any questions? And people don't always know what to ask. So a lot of times they'll say, do you have any? And they look at each other and they go, no, what do people normally ask in these meetings? And so we wanted to give a little bit of guidance so people know what questions are good to ask, what information you want to walk away with when you have that initial meeting with a potential financial advisor. I feel like to some extent I feel that same way when I'm at the dentist. It's like, do you have any questions or concerns? Like, no. What you know, questions by, should I have? Right. By default, like, I don't know, are my teeth healthy? And like, you tell me, sort of thing, you know? So I, I can I can totally relate to that, you know, being on the, the other side of the professional, so to speak, where, yeah, do you have any questions? Uh, not really. But then as I'm going throughout my teeth cleaning or whatever is being done, you know, it's like, oh, now that you think about it, you know, maybe I did notice some sensitivity and, you know, my molars or whatever, but in any case, somewhat of an analogy there that I think of. So, yeah, or follow up after a surgery, you know, Oh, do you have any questions? You're like, I've never had the surgery before. I don't yeah. know what questions I should ask, you know, just very yeah. unfamiliar. So it's the same kind of situation. It's probably any? a better example because you have <laughs> surgeries. You don't have surgery all that frequently. Yeah. Dentist in theory, you're going two times a year. Similarly, yeah. you're hopefully you're not shopping for an advisor two times a year. Yeah. That means not. you're struggling to find the right fit. Hopefully not. So what are some of the, the top 
I'll, I'll ask this in two ways. One, what is the top thing that people do ask if they have questions coming in? But then two, maybe what are the things that they should be asking in our opinion, right? That they may not be asking. Sure. Well, I think some people ask this and some people, I don't know if it's just kind of an aversion to talking about money that generally people have, but oftentimes people aren't very direct or they feel weird about asking about what our fees are. Um, and so something that's something that we'll typically say if they're like, I don't know what questions should I ask? They're like, well, our fee structure is, um, you know, and, and people do sometimes come in with that question and they'll say, oh, I see that you're fee only. And they will think that means flat fee. And those two things are actually different. And I think that's kind of a common one we get as a misconception, um, you know, with with fee only being you're only getting paid based on the fees that like the firm is charging. There's no commissions, there's no sales charges, where flat fee is a flat rate. Oh, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars to create me a financial plan, or I'm going to pay you X amount per month as a flat fee for financial planning services. Um, there are a lot of different ways advisors can get compensated in this industry, and it's not always very clear. And some advisors have hybrid models. Some advisors get a fee, and they might also get some commissions um, or kickbacks from the products that they recommend as well. So that can help to make it more complicated. Yeah, and, and I've seen both sides. I've been an advisor for a number of years now, and I started my career at, at Merrill Lynch. At Merrill Lynch, I was a broker, so I was licensed as a broker. I was licensed as an investment advisor, so duly registered, as they call it. But I could accept fees and commissions from a variety of ways in that setting because of how I was licensed and how we did business at Merrill Lynch. So I, I could sell products from the bank. I could sell mortgages. I could sell life insurance. I could sell a market-linked investment and get a sales charge right out of the, right out of the gates. There are the opportunity then for more transactional type of commissions or fees. But then I could also charge an investment advisory fee, which is that's more similar to what we do, right? When I was at Merrill Lynch, I could do both. Here, where Alicia and I are currently in our, our model as a fee-only firm at Walkner Condon, we can't accept any product commissions. So Alicia, for, you've never been licensed with insurance, have you? No. Okay. So for example, when I came over here, I had to drop my insurance license and I had to drop being a broker. So I had to actually drop licenses in order to be here to then say that I am fee only to only charge a management fee. And that's the only revenue that we get. I don't get any product based commissions, no sales charges. So that's actually a little bit different from where I came from versus how Alicia got here, which is, well, actually we're both career changers, <laughs> uh, but we took different paths, of course. Uh, so, so Alicia actually only knows the feeling world and, and she did that for a very specific reason. She knew that that was the place that she wanted to be when she was determining that, yeah, she wants to become a financial planner, but then two, where she wanted to, to work. So I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit, cause that's actually something that comes up in, in prospective client meetings. A, yeah. A decent I, amount. I feel, you know, I started here a little less than a year ago and, you know, clients are trying to determine if we're going to be a good fit for them. And so sometimes something that I share with them is why I decided to work here in the first place. Cause that's often for very similar reasons that a client would choose to hire us. You know, we're fee only, we're independent, we're fiduciaries, and that's the type of firm that I knew I wanted to work for. 
So all of the things that a client is looking for in an advisor, those are the things that I was working for as far as the type of firm that I wanted to work for. And so those two things had a lot of synergy there. Um, But what I'm curious about, Mitch, is since you've worked in both kind of two different compensation models, like what for you was the biggest adjustment or how did you treat your clients differently going from how you worked at Merrill Lynch with now how you work here? I don't think I treated them differently, but the conflicts that existed were very different. So being in the model at Merrill Lynch, and, and they're, they're a great advisor at Merrill Lynch. I enjoyed my coworkers when I worked there, but the model is different. And that's very important to understand. If somebody wants to go to one place to get, let's say, all their insurance needs and their you know bank accounts and kind of all the things that a, a bank slash investment bank wealth manager can have... That's, there's a reason why some of those places exist. Just know that there's going to be more conflicts when it comes to the products that you're ultimately recommended. They may not have a truly independent view of what is being recommended that that client use. So I didn't treat my clients any differently, but I knew that there was the conflict to meet different sales goals, for example, that said, hey, it's the end of a quarter. This market-linked investment is selling 5.5% sales charge up front. That sounds attractive to your pocket, right? It may, it might actually very well, it could be suitable or maybe even in the best interest of the client. I don't know, but the conflict is there in a way that, that produces a product or the potential to produce a product that is higher fee that may not be the best option. So it's just different. I think then from someone on the other side of the desk, that's interviewing an advisor, the takeaway is understand how they're paid and then understand the conflicts of interest that do exist. Cause conflicts probably n- never can completely go away, but conflicts of interest surely can be mitigated. Yeah. And, and I'm a strong believer in that and bias, of course, when I say this, but that's why I believe in the, the way that our business is set up it greatly mitigates the conflicts of interest when giving advice and then therefore being held to that best interest standard for our clients. Yeah. So does that help? Yeah, no, yeah. That's, I think that, that clarifies a lot. And, you know, like you mentioned, if somebody wants insurance, we can't sell them insurance right. because the only way you can get insurance is through that different compensation model. So that's something we're not able to provide our clients. A client could come in here and say, hey, I want life insurance. And we're like, well, we can recommend some places for you to go. We can tell you where to get quotes. But that's not something that we can give to them. Um, and so that's, you know, there's a trade-off there is, well, now we are fee only, we're not taking any commissions, but now that's one piece that we can't offer our clients directly. And this is kind of, this is a fun podcast because when this podcast launched, I'm tangenting here, but when this podcast launched probably six, seven years ago, one of the the big themes that we were trying to get was kind of illuminating the, uh, the hidden things about the financial service industry, right? and try to be more transparent and provide this channel of transparency. And I, I think one of the first handful of podcasts was about advisor fees because it, it seemed to be this black box historically. So Clinton Nate got on this yeah. podcast and Clinton Nate, the, the founding members of our firm, of course, their names are on the door and they're, they're still the managing partners. Uh, that's what they talk about. They're like, hey, people don't know about this. Some, and people still don't. It's still something still that people struggle to understand. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, if anything, hopefully this like plants some some ideas or, or even if you're working with a different advisor and listening to this podcast, I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask and just recap. Hey, by the way, it's been 10 years since we've established this relationship. Let's do a quick recap. You know, like I, you as a client slash consumer should know 
<laughs> you have to know. And you might be paying a lot, you might be paying a little, right? But at least understanding yes. what it means and then how that in, impacts the, the advice and the plan that you ultimately receive. Yeah, transparency, I think, is the big key because there's a lot of different compensation models, a lot of different fee models out there, and they serve different people. You know, and I think that's something that's changed from maybe six or seven years ago when they maybe were first talking about this is that there is a a big piece of the pie now that isn't really served by the assets under management model. So for people who don't know what that is, um, that's how our firm charges it. We charge our fee based on a percentage of the assets that we manage. If you don't have any assets for us to manage, we we don't get paid. There's no way for us to get paid. Uh, there are other financial planning firms out there, though, that charge on a project basis or on a, a monthly subscription model basis. Um, and those are kind of the more of the flat fee or they say they look at the complexity of your situation. You know, if you're somebody who's coming out of school, maybe you have a bunch of student loan debt, but really high income, you don't have a ton of investments for somebody to manage, but you still need a financial plan. You still need a plan to pay off debt. Maybe you have a mortgage, student loans, you have kids, you have, a, you, have you know, employer stock options that are coming in. You have a very complicated financial situation that you need somebody to help you with. But because you don't have those assets to manage, you th well, then how do I get financial planning? So I think what's what's nice to be aware of is that one financial advisor, there's not necessarily always a wrong way. There's just different ways. And you may think, hey, this is a great advisor, but just the way they're compensated might not work for your situation. And I, we've we've kind of like guided people to other advisors before. If we can't serve them, like our firm, you know, we can't help everybody. We can't serve everybody. We have the type of client that we work with. And if we have somebody come in who's in that situation, we have other people we can refer them to who their compensation model kind of allows them to get paid in a different way. For sure. For sure. And, and another thing kind of related to fees and the, and the black box, so to speak, a lot of times too, we see this with certain products like annuities, for example. And I'm not here to bash on annuities. I'm just going to say that generally not everyone needs them. And generally they can be expensive. And we're talking a variable annuity, for example. And that's something too, that it very well could be a fit in someone's plan. There's reasons that sometimes people would want them, whether they just want the stability of income or, you know, maybe they they don't necessarily have the assets built up where they can just withdraw from their investment accounts. Maybe they need that stable, consistent level of income from an annuity. But I think when th there's opportunity for them to be oversold too. So sometimes an advisor might say, Hey, you should put X amount of dollars in this annuity. It's fair to ask that question as a client or a prospective client okay, well, what are the associated fees with that? Because even though you can find them with a simple call to the, to the insurance company that, that you know, offers the annuity or to the adv that advisor or agent themselves or going and digging into prospectus, you'll get a pretty good idea for the fees. But sometimes you need to push a little bit, you know, and, and knowing what to ask sometimes is helpful. So if it is an annuity, for example, you might ask, okay, well, you know, are there management fees? For a variable annuity. Yes. Okay. What are those? Are there M&E, which are mortality and expense fees? What are those? And some of these should be outlined in the prospectus, right? By prospectus, they have to disclose some of this information that should be available on the firm's website. 
but knowing those types of questions, it can then get you and, and then sub account fees. Okay, well, there's investments behind the scenes. Well, it's in sub account A, B, C, and D. Each of those have different expense ratios, similar to a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, right? They're not investing it for free, so to speak. By the time you add that up, you might have a weighted expense ratio of two, three percent. And then it gets you into the mindset of, oh, okay. Is that two, three percent, let's say, worth it for guaranteed income? Some people might say yes. Yes, it is. Okay, great. Some people might say, holy cow, that sounds expensive. And then I'm subject to this surrender charge if I do want to do something with it in the first seven years. So it can really limit you. So it's just really trying to understand what are the questions I should be asking. And hopefully I'm sprinkling in uh, a few along the ways here. Other interesting tangent. I'm going to go on tangent number two. <laughs> so Alicia and I recently had a phone call with Lincoln Financial Group and their emails end in LFG. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm not going to say on air what I think when I hear of LFG, but I think it stands for something. And uh, particularly the, the letter in the middle that starts with F there. And uh, the compliance folks, I don't know, we're probably from a compliance perspective allowed to say that word. I was going to say, can we swear but, on the podcast? But I don't know if it's the, the best thing for me to do that. But this was funny because Alicia and I went back afterwards and I was chuckling because I'm like, oh man, they're, they're at LFG.com. And oh, that's just Lincoln Financial Group. Alicia in her world thinks of in LFG as something world. very differently yeah. than I do. So I laughed because it's looking for group in World of Warcraft. LFG is if you're looking for a group. And Mitch is like, no, it means it means something else. And so we <laughs> it had means let's very, go with another, yeah, let's with go another with the F word in between. Yeah. Um, so, you know, depending on what worlds you frequent and what your hobbies are, acronyms can mean very different things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, Amber, I know you're not mic'd, but are we what what camp of LFG are you in? Okay, all right. Amber and I are on the she's same on, team there. She's on team Mitch. She's, and John she's, as well. John, John knew what I was talking yeah. about. Uh, so I, I think reading between the lines, Amber's probably not a World of Warcraft player. Okay, okay. <laughs> we got to get you mic'd up one of these times. Yeah. Yeah. So for the record, Amber's not a World of Warcraft well, speaking of acronyms, I mean, we could get into the alphabet soup that is advisor certifications. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that could be a whole nother podcast. But one I do bring up in my blog post is like, what does it mean to be a CFP, you know, which is certified financial planner? Um, and that was one thing to me that when I was doing, a re doing the research to change careers is I kind of said, I was like, well, what credentials do you need to be a financial advisor? Uh, not many. Um, you don't have to be a certified financial planner to call yourself a financial planner. Um, so there, there's not really a standardized, you know, test or, th you know, something like there's not an education program. People certainly can get a degree in, you know, financial planning or in finance um, or a master's degree in it, which I did. But that's not a requirement to work in the industry. Um, nor is it a requirement to have any of these type of, of credentials. And there are multiple credentials that people can have. You know, we have um, uh, charter, you know, chartered financial analyst is another one. And there's the John's certification, which SIPA. is SEPA, the, the certified exit planner um, for, you know, business owners who are trying to, you know, sell their business so that they can retire. Um, there's people who are certified in dealing with student loans and you can get a certification for that. Um but what I found when I was kind of 
sifting through all of this is that certified financial planner was sort of the gold standard in the industry. It had the most rigorous requirements. It's very well regulated. Um, and it really, it really showed somebody's dedication to the field of financial planning. It has an education requirement. It has an ethics requirement. It has a really long, stressful test that I had to study for three months in order to pass. And then it also has an experience requirement, um, which I am still working on. So I think if you're looking at a financial advisor, understanding what those letters behind their names mean can also be kind of an important thing. And it's a good question to ask when you're meeting with somebody. What what do these letters mean? What did you have to do in order to get this certification? For sure. For sure. So bringing it back a little bit. So we talked about fees a decent amount, right? Some of which are just simply how are you paid as the advisor, right? So you're talking to, you're looking for a financial advisor. How are you paid, right? Um trying to understand what conflicts exist. Understanding, and this is a subset of, of the fee piece, but just what commissions might they be able to accept, right? Are they selling something that has a front sales charge, something like that? What are your designations, right? What are your experience? Those types of questions. As we're wrapping up in the next handful of minutes, what are some of the other really critical things that the prospective client should be asking? Well, I think the other one, the, the, and I, I briefly touch on this in the blog post, is what does it mean to be independent? You know, we use TD Ameritrade and Schwab as custodians for our client assets, meaning they are the ones who manage our client accounts. They generate statements. They're the ones we use to make trades through. But we are not employed by them. We're not beholden to them. We're not locked in or getting some, you know, incentivized to use any of their products. Um, where some advisors, if you work for, you know, Vanguard, you work for Fidelity, you may be incentivized or required to use and sell only that company's products for the people that you're working with. Um, and so if you're independent, you can truly, I mean, we can use any type of investment companies. We can use Vanguard funds. We can use Fidelity, State Street, BlackRock, First Trust. So we can really go anywhere for the type of funds that we're going to use for our client investments. And being independent means we're not, you know, incentivized or beholden to any specific investment company. There's one little thing that Alicia mentioned there on TD Ameritrade slash Schwab. They're the ones actually creating the statements for our clients. That's kind of important because you look at someone like, oh, Bernie Madoff, who did not have an independent record keeper, who happened to be generating all of his own statements in the floor below where it was all fabricated. So for the record... We do not generate our own statements. That's Schwab's job slash TD Ameritrade for a few more months. Um, <laughs> there is an independent check there, so to speak. Uh, and, and in all seriousness, having that independent custodian allows the, the client to have assets that are at a different place. Those assets are not held in these four walls at Walkner Condon, right? There's, there's a little bit of a protection there, a safeguard of, of your assets, having an independent custodian in that way. Yep, exactly. So just a little thing thrown out there anyways. I don't even think there is a basement in this building where statements could be fabricated. I'm There's pretty sure parking. it's a parking garage. Yeah. It's a parking garage. Parking garage that we don't get to use. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I could rant about the parking situation here, but you know, I think we're – think we're hitting the end. I think it's time to wrap up. If you guys want to know more, there's some great resources in the uh, 
blog post that I wrote, including a link to the CFP board's like 10 list of 10 things you should be asking your financial advisor. So there's some good kind of guidance in there, some good tools, good food for thought, um, and some additional links to provide more information for anybody who's curious about what to ask when they are interviewing financial advisors. Feel free to subscribe to this channel if you haven't already, and we will see you in the next episode of Give Me Some Truth. Walkner Cotton Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walkner Cotton Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.